0: afternoon, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today. Uh, professor Bowie G is an associate professor of statistics here at Purdue University. She's been on campus since 2004, I believe. Yeah. And even though she did receive her degrees from the University of Michigan, we still, we still enjoy having her here on campus at Purdue. So uh, I think that it's kind of unusual to think about um, statistics uh, when you talk about cybersecurity, although math is at the, is at the heart of it. And and what I really like about her topic, it's something that we're gonna hear more and more of, is is she's taken a a game theory approach to looking at uh, and and machine learning. So she's combining two very hot topics into her security presentation today. So with that, I'll turn it over to Professor Xi. Yeah, actually thank you for a very nice introduction and the invitation for the talk. So um, the work I presented here is a summary of several papers uh, I wrote with my student and collaborators from Dallas. Um, so we all know there are malicious attacks, right, in cybersecurity, while there are net- uh, network intruders. And spam emails is another example. Spammers constantly rewrite the spam email, and then spam filter, which serves as classifier, cannot label them correctly. And very recently, this received well lots of visibility, rather because of deep learning. So deep learning-based systems are very uh, sensitive to minor input perturbations. So one famous example is the stop sign example, right? They try to put on a few stickers on the stop sign, and then stop sign will be misclassified as speed limit sign. Well, that even has a different background color. Another example is rather physical you know, attack, or attacking physical layers. So it's called dolphin attack. Well, they design ultrasonic uh, commands, which is inaudible to human. But these ultrasonic commands can control almost all the speech recognition system by targeting on the hardware. And it can even control the navigation system of a car. Um, Well, adversarial machine learning um, is talking about handling data points that has unusual properties. So from cybersecurity and from computer vision, we actually see two classes of adversarial samples. One is adversarial samples that's very similar to the standard normal samples, but cannot be recognized. Another class is adversarial samples suddenly have very different properties. They follow different uh, distributions compared with the test sample, then, well, standard machine learning techniques cannot handle these adversarial, uh, adversarial samples. Well, we need a whole new class of machine learning techniques that can, well, deal with adversarial attacks properly. Uh, somehow Okay, so there's another topic is artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is rather broader, it's not well limited with machine learning. But right now artificial intelligence also is uh, forward thinking, just try to improve the capacity, um, increase the accuracy, and it needs adversarial machine learning capacity. So it needs to be able to handle malicious instances and still act properly. And game theory actually offers a very useful tool to model the interaction between attackers and defenders. And here we assume a defender is a learning system. Um, And we could have multiple adversaries. Well, my uh, past work actually addressed well, supervised learning in an adversarial environment, unsupervised learning and active learning algorithms facing uh, active adversaries. And as for deep learning, we show, well, if we use randomized decision boundary for deep learning models, then we will be able to break transferability of adversarial samples and uh, classify the instances properly. Um, So the first work, uh, we use a sequential game, a dorcero Stackelberg game, to model the interaction. So in a dorcero Stackelberg game, one player will make the first move, and after observing the first player's action, the second player will uh, choose his strategy. And in this sequential game, every player can have their own utility function, and they try to maximize their own payoff. So it's different from the zero-sum game. In zero-sum game, well, one player's gain is another player's loss. But in the sequential game, um, I often receive questions about, well, who should be the leader in the game? We have defender, we have multiple adversaries. Well, in the, um, well, when business school, uh, their status use that uh, game, the conclusion is the leader has an advantage in the game. Say the largest company being the leader in the game, they set the price for a product, then they receive the largest profit. Um, here, well, in adversarial game, well, we'll compare two different scenarios, two different games. One is we like the defender to be the leader in the game. And uh, all the adversarial, uh, adversaries become the follower, then this is a uh, one leader, I'm follower game. Another scenario is we let like the defender be the follower in the game and the adversaries are the leaders so all the adversaries you know make their um, well, move then defender will choose a defensive strategy. Then this is uh, I'm leader, one follower game. Well, the game setup actually is a complex optimization problem. So we are searching for the equilibrium solutions in two different uh, scenarios. Uh, the details are in the preprint uh, paper is currently under review. Well, in the game setup, well, we also, we first need to defend the strategies for each player. And defender's strategy is to draw a defensive wall around the center of the normal population. So the size of the defensive wall is controlled by a parameter between zero and one. Well, we can imagine this defensive wall is comparable to a confidence region we used to draw in a multivariate normal population. So the parameter of is comparable to a confidence level in the normal population, and attacker strategy. Um, well, attacker strategy is to move the objects under their control toward the center of the normal population, and attacker strategy is also controlled by a parameter between zero and one. Zero means, well, no movement, stay at the original position. Then one means move it, you know, to uh, at the center of the normal. Then strategy space for both players, or all the players, are bounded between 0 and 1. And next in the game, we need to defend each player's payoff. Attacker's payoff are the expected value of the utilities generated by adversarial samples that successfully evade detection. And defender's payoff is negative 1 times misclassification cost. So to solve for the equilibrium, well, in a multiple follower, multiple leader game, it's a very complex optimization problem, uh, solving for the saddle point. And in our setup, because well, all the uh, strategy space is bounded, so we actually um, do an exhaustive search. And, well, here are the two equilibrium strategies. On the left, that's where Defender is the leader in the game. And defenders' equilibrium strategy is a small red circle around the blue points. And uh, attackers' equilibrium strategy are the black points that's on the boundary of the normal population. So on this plot, green points are the regional attack objects. Black points are the new attack objects. And blue points are the normal points, normal population position, Uh, we assume that doesn't change. And the red panel shows the equilibrium strategy when defender is the follower in the game. Well, the red circle is larger, it's a more relaxed strategy. And we can see more blue points, more normal points are properly classified. And while when defender is the follower in the game, we see the black points are not very aggressive. So they are away from even the boundary points of the normal population. So comparing these two game setups, we basically see when defender is the follower in the game. Well, defender has an advantage in the adversarial environment. So when defender is the follower, defender has the advantage to observe all the adversary's moves. And when adversary is not aware of the existence of the defensive strategy, they make less aggressive attacks. And defender is able to draw a more relaxed decision boundary to have more normal points properly classified. And on the other hand, well, if defender is the leader, defender first needs to decide on a decept- uh, decept- uh, defensive strategy, say the spam filter. It needs to set a more conservative strategy, block out you know many uh, normal points, and observing the existence of such a defensive strategy, adversaries well tends to launch more aggressive attacks. So this conclusion is very different from the business studies. Well, um, And next, well, we address uh, adversarial learning in unsurprised environment. So we observe adversarial samples, mostly from two different application domains: One is cybersecurity, another is computer vision. And uh, we samples in these two different, in cybersecurity and computer regions, have very different properties. Well, in cybersecurity, well, first of all, we may not have many labeled uh, data points. When there's a new attack, say a new malware, or a completely new attack, we may not have the luxury to label the new attack objects. Or we may uh, have completely unlabeled data set say, for uh, anomaly detection technique, then we still need to be able to have a well, robust learning algorithm that can learn the adversary's behavior from large amount of unlabeled samples. And we notice adversarial samples in cybersecurity, sample they can certainly have very different distribution or very different property from the standard training samples. And to attack unsupervised learning technique, Or anomaly detection technique while adversaries just need to fill in the gap, place a few objects between previously well-separated clusters. Then multiple separate clusters can be uh, connected together into a large mixed cluster. And currently while the work on adversarial learning mostly focus on uh, classification task, so they assume there's a large number of labeled uh, data points. In computer vision, this is easy; images is free. But in cybersecurity, it may not be a realistic assumption. Oh, okay, let me. Uh so our algorithm can achieve multiple um, well objectives. So we first. Well, try to identify the subclusters, normal subcluster or abnormal subcluster, inside large mixed clusters. And next, our algorithm will not label all the unlabeled data points. So, this is different from semi supervised learning. Well, in semi supervised learning, it assumes there's a handful of labeled points and a large number of unlabeled points. Then it gradually tries to identify the most accurate classification boundary which, you know, achieve the highest accuracy on all the unlabeled data points. And for our uh, algorithm, well, we, we will, uh, well, preserve unlabeled regions between normal and abnormal subclusters. Those unlabeled regions is comparable to confidence regions. And compared with the classification boundary, classification boundary can be considered as a point estimate. So given very small number of labeled data points, well, this point estimate is not accurate, even through semi-supervised learning. And using, well, save the unlabeled confidence region and try to identify high-confidence normal regions will be a more appropriate approach. And at the same time, um, we also identify outliers, outliers as potential anomalies. And our idea to identify the high confidence regions inside large mixed cluster, well, uh, we can imagine it's comparable to airport security. So in airport security, only a small number of passengers will go through well the fast pre-check Most of the passengers will go through the time-consuming security check. But so far for the past, you know, a number of years, all the passengers, are normal passengers, so. Uh, basically in adversarial learning any objects outside of the high confidence region needs to go through well second level screening this will prevent well cell samples to enter the high confidence region so our algorithm actually have two uh, well we need to take two parts of the data um well, on the plot, on the left panel, while well, the orange points are the abnormal data points, blue points are the normal data points. So we see three clusters uh, together, you know, form a large one large mixed cluster. If we don't, you know, have any uh, additional information, uh, just use a standard clustering algorithm. That's what a clustering algorithm will return a large, you know, mixed cluster, uh, unlabeled mixed cluster. And for our algorithm, well, we assume there is a handful of uh, labeled seeds. Could be just half a percent of the um, well, data set. Then using the labeled seeds, we first compute the probability densities of the data point. So it's a grid-based algorithm. Um, in grid-based algorithm, well, uh, feature space is uh, divided into spatial cells. Then it compute the density in the uh, spatial cells. We'll use the labeled seeds to first compute the probability density in each spatial cells. Then uh, the neighboring spatial cells with high density, high probability density will be grouped together. In the first pass, we'll form three types of uh, small clusters. We'll have labeled normal subclusters, labeled abnormal subclusters, and unlabeled small clusters. Then in the second pass, we'll ignore the label seeds, Just run the um, grid-based algorithm again. It will retain large clusters, large unlabeled clusters. Then we'll match the results from the first pass with the results from the second pass. We'll uh, identify the position of the small clusters from the first pass, well, from, uh, you know, uh, match them into the large unlabeled cluster. Then the uh, panel. Well, in the middle, the middle panel show the results from our um, AD class algorithm. So we identify well, orange points, blue points, three subclusters into this large cluster, and those purple points between orange and blue points, those are the unlabeled uh, points. So they identify an uh, unlabeled region, like a confidence region uh, between subclusters. And the position of the subclusters can be arbitrary in the large cluster, in the large mixed cluster. And over the shape of this unlabeled uh, confidence region can be quite flexible. And then we also have black points. Black points are uh, identified as outliers, potential anomalies, new attack objects. The right panel is the results from a, sep- a semi-supervised learning algorithm. Basically, we run different semi supervised learning algorithms. They more or less give very similar results. So, semi supervised learning algorithm use the same labeled seats, try to identify a classification boundary in the center. So, around the center of the orange data points, then we can see it completely misclassified one normal uh, subcluster and also didn't get the structure of the three you know, ABA structures. Um, well, the results here is uh, from one real data set. It's a network intrusion data set collected in 1999. And in this cup data set, 40% um, percent uh, network intrusion instances, around 60% are normal instances. And here, well, in one row, run- we keep 100 randomly um, sampled instances, keep their labels. And then basically 99.6% will be uh, unlabeled data points. And then um, the data points in our high-confidence regions, 90% of them are normal data points. So we uh, compare this on average 60%. We'll, we do identify high-confidence uh, regions. And network-entry data is highly mixed. So it's very difficult to identify, well, intrinsic true uh, in instances from normal instances, we achieve a good uh, results in here. Uh, we are currently running on another larger, well, um, well, cybersecurity data set with 110 dimensions. And we still have good results. So our algorithm uh, scale up to high dimensional results as well. And as for the size of the defensive wall, well the size of the defensive wall, that red circle, actually um, we, uh, in the middle panel there's small blue circles. So blue circles are the defensive walls. They identify the high confidence, normal regions. The size of the defensive wall um, is determined through that previous game theoretic study. So when defender is the follower, in general, the equilibrium strategy will recommend defensive wall sites around 60%, between 60% to 80%. Not too conservative, not too relaxed. And in the KDD CAP data, we also recommend the same range, between 60 to 80%, to um, draw further defensive you know, in high, a um, high confidence region. Then another approach, utilizing a small number of labeled seats is active learning. So active learning algorithm will start from a very small number of training data points. Then it will sample the most influential data point. Oracle will provide a label for this influential data point. Then by gradually increasing the size of the training data, while active learning algorithm will achieve the same accuracy as a standard classifier, say a support vector machine or a logistic regression. But active learning, um, by sampling the more influential data point you know, to be labeled and including the training data, it uses a much smaller training data, uh, data set compared with a standard well, uh, classifier. But here in eudor setting, well, we will imagine the oracle that provides labels for the sample data point can be controlled by adversaries. So here we uh, assume there could be three types of oracles. One is a genuine oracle. It just always provide uh, correct labels. Another type is noisy oracle. So it will not purposely produce wrong labels. It just, you know, by probability, will not get all the labels correct. For example, in crowdsourcing, while people just label instances very quickly, then there's an error rate, but it doesn't you know, purposely try to hurt the performance of the learning algorithm. The third type of the oracle is malicious oracle. Malicious oracle are controlled by the adversary. It will targetedly produce wrong labels and hopefully uh, well, try to reduce the accuracy of the active learning algorithm as, as much as possible. Um, I also skip the al- actual algorithm. This paper is, appear, uh, is going to appear in a workshop in a PAKDD well, a conference well, in April. So the algorithm is iterative. So we try to estimate which oracle is genuine oracle, which is malicious oracle. Well, we first cluster data. Based on the data clustering results, compared with the labels produced by the oracles, we estimate which ones are the genuine oracles. Then we'll use only the estimated genuine oracle to label the sample data point, increase the training data set by one. So in this iterative process, we run it on the web spam data. And uh, here, well, 60% of the instances are spam you know, instances. And we compare, well, our, um, well, we do several active learning technique with well, simple majority work, with crowdsourcing technique, and also with standard active learning technique without malicious and weak oracles. Underlying classifiers support vector machine. So this is the typical results for active learning. As training size gradually increase. so we start from 20 labeled training data points, gradually increase to more than 100. So the top line, Um, we are plotting the accuracy of the active learning algorithm on both right and left panel the top line the most accurate accurate, uh, technique is the standard active learning technique where oracles always produce the uh, correct labels but that bold black line that's the accuracy of our adversarial active learning algorithm so on the right panel we assume there are 30 oracles 10 are genuine oracles, 10 are malicious oracles, 10 are weak oracles. Then after about 80 training samples, labeled training samples, we'll be able to estimate which are genuine oracles, and our accuracy, you know, quickly uh, match the accuracy of the standard um, active learning technique. But the difference between four algorithms, even, you know, between, uh, well, our technique and uh, majority order not. Very significant on the right hand side, so on the left hand side we look at a more extreme example out of three uh, oracles, we assume only five genuine oracles uh, thirteen are ma- malicious oracles to our noise oracles so we, uh, here we see a more you know, a better comparison of four techniques. Well, our technique will um, will, will uh, be less accurate <laughs> than the standard active learning technique. But majority of is just like uh, flipping, well, flipping coin, and cross-sourcing technique is less accurate. So that's the results in, um well, mostly unsupervised learning or weakly supervised learning uh, scenario. When uh, we basically, applications uh, targeted on cybersecurity datasets. Next, well, we'll look at supervised learning scenario. Supervised learning scenario assume a well, large number of <coughs> labelled training data points, but this is well, often the case in computer vision domain. And here we consider two um, techniques, uh, rather two strategies to make machine learning technique or classifiers more robust against adversarial per, uh, perturbation. One is to draw a conservative strategy. So both strategies are inspired by game theory. Well, in game theory, the equilibrium solution is a more conservative solution. Basically, we we withdraw the decision boundary toward the center of the normal population. Then it's more difficult for the adversary to uh, reach the boundary of the new conservative decision decision function. Then another strategy is to have randomized decision boundary. So if we randomize the decision boundary, then it's more difficult for adversaries to discover where is the decision boundary and to create you know, adversarial samples. So the first technique uh, here uh, is adversarial support vector machine. Here we draw a more, well, we take the conservative strategy. Um, support vector machine, in general, solves a convex optimization problem. So we define hinge loss, you know, while then try to solve for the decision boundary. Um, here, uh, if we well, somehow incorporate support vector machine with game theory model, support vector machine is already an op- optimization problem. Game theory is another optimization you know, uh, problem. Then we are going to have a double loop of optimizations. So for uh, adversarial support vector machine, we simplify well uh, the algorithm. We don't directly use game theory. But instead, we try to model the attack and incorporate anticipated attack inside the um, risk minimization formulation, inside the loss function. The actual setup of the new loss function and the attack model in the paper is a CKDD paper. So basically, we consider two possible attacks. One is free-range attack. In free-range attack, objects can be moved anywhere in in the feature space. Another scenario is targeted attack. In targeted attack, well, there um, several objects must move toward well a normal value, a normal object, randomly selected from normal population. And then, based on the tech model, we will rewrite the loss function in the risk minimization problem and recompute compute a different well conservative well support vector machine decision boundary. So this is. Uh, This is a comparison of the standard support vector machine decision boundary and um, the more conservative decision boundary. So here, red points are the abnormal data points. Green points are the normal populations. Well, the dashed line is the standard decision boundary. Basically, achieves the best separation between two classes. And using kernel function could be well, a nonlinear decision boundary. But the black points are the well actual attack data points. Well, if we, um, well, if in the risk minimization problem, well we put in the crack, uh, well we uh, put in the properly estimated attack model, then the blue line is the revised, more conservative decision boundary. It managed to block out most of the attack instances. But if in the risk minimization formulation, well the, att- the anticipated attack uh, strength. Doesn't match the actual attack, then well, uh, we will see more well wrongly labeled normal objects and more attack objects can you know breach the boundary of um, the zero spot vector machine decision boundary. So we run large set of simulation. Basically, if we do not really observe the attack uh, objects, well, the risk minimization problem better to uh, predict the medium strength attack. And draw a decision boundary, but not too conservative. So the next randomized decision boundary strategy, we apply to deep neural network. So for deep neural network, this is why uh, in the past couple of years, the neural machine learning suddenly becomes a very popular topic. So uh, images, well, with very minor perturbation can easily be misclassified by uh, deep neural network model. So the left uh, is a handwritten tweet that's correctly labeled. And on the right hand side there's a misclassified tweet. We see just a few you know, pixels on three is missing. Then it cannot be labeled correctly. So deep neural network become very popular uh, classifier and eventually um, outperforms port vector machine it's on image classification tasks. In 2012, well, on ImageNet competition, uh, Deep Neural Network clearly outperforms support vector machine. That's why, you know, Deep Neural Network is, um, well, used widely in computer vision and audio, you know, classification tasks. But it's also very vulnerable. It's less robust in support vector machine. That's the current con- uh, conclusion. And our, um, our results is try to improve the performance of a neural network facing adversarial images. So there are many different attack algorithms designed to generate the perturbations. while well, and then a new adversarial image. So a famous example is kalini Wagner's iterative auto 2 attack. There's also you know moment-based attack, well also attacks you know well somehow uh, try to estimate the randomization technique and co- uh, recompute the gradients. But these are all gradient-based. Basically, they use uh, objective function try to define the minimal amount of perturbation added to an image, and compute the gradients uh, to you know. Uh, changes the pixel values on the original, you know, test image and generate new adversarial images. So more or less, all the attack algorithms follow the same gradient-based approach. And here, um, well, with adversarial samples, there's one interesting phenomenon uh, is observed. It's called transferability of adversarial samples. So people discovered, well, if one adversarial image is generated, well. To break one deep neural network model, then the similar dose image will be misclassified by other neural network models with very different structure. Or it, it can ha- even happen you know, across different model classes. It can even be misclassified by, by spot vector machine or, or just regression-based image classifier. And here we see, well, if we randomize the same boundary of deep neural network, we can successfully stop transferability of those samples. So, in a sense, make neural network more robust against attacks. So, uh, we actually consider two attack scenarios. In the weak attack scenario, well, we assume attackers, adversaries, know only one neural network. Uh, Adversaries know the structure, the parameter value of one neural network. But we will train a number of uh, neural networks. By just using different random initial points in the training procedure, so neural network well, is very vulnerable even starting from the training process. If we change well the initial values, we end up with uh, well different enough neural networks, different enough models. So here we train well uh, ten neural network models. Well. Uh, Basically, if you have a pool of 10 or 20 neural network models, then that's sufficient to randomize the same boundary. And the baseline deep neural network is a neural network that actually uh, known to the adversary. So adversary knows the structure, node the parameter values. Then adversarial images will be generated well, toward that baseline deep neural network. Then it has performance you know, accuracy 0% on the generated adversarial images. And here we also compare with a defense strategy. It's called ensemble adversarial train, um, well, um, model. So one major class of defense strategy is to train neural network using adversarial images. So it's called adversarial trained neural network. And we can train one. We can train ensemble, but. It has also uh, also some problems. One is what well, the adversarial images involved in the retraining procedure is overfitted, and once you retrain the model, it's a new it's a new model. Then new adversarial images can be generated toward the new model, the retrained model, and still, while well, um, new model will have zero percent accuracy. So for the weaker test scenario, well, we can have multiple defense strategy or achieve good performance. So first one, well, for every new test sample, we randomly choose one trend model from a pool, say 10 or 20 trend models, to classify that uh, test image. On average accuracy is 86%. This is average over 50 uh, or 20 runs. Another one is simply use the majority vote of all the uh, trained models, 10 or 20 of them. And because well, adversary knows only one model, the majority vote also achieves a good accuracy, 91, 99%. And third one, we randomize, well, uh, among the retrained models. So for every test image, we randomly pick one retrained model. Um, accuracy increased to 87%. Well, the last strategy, in the weak attack scenario, well, basically, every time for new test image, we randomly choose a model and inject random noises to the parameter value, to the parameters in the neural network. So we not only randomly select one model, we also randomize parameter value. But under this stronger randomization uh, strategy, the current accuracy um, is 77.9%. But later, we consider second stronger attack um, scenario. Well, uh, we assume the adversaries know all the trend models, all the 10 trained neural network. Adversaries know 10 models structure parameter values. Then it can generate adversarial images attacking all 10 models. And with that strong attack, basically, only the last while strategy still works. So when we inject random noises, to the trend model, we basically form random ensemble, and we still maintain accuracy about eighty percent. So what we observe here is well, basically there's a, uh, there's a trade-off between accuracy and robustness. The uh, simple majority vote is well uh, has the smallest accuracy zero percent in the um, strong attack scenario, but for the weaker attack scenario it has the highest accuracy, and well, for the random ensemble, accuracy on the uh, weak attack scenario is the lowest, but it will maintain this level of accuracy on the strong attacks. So this is another uh, phenomenon observed recently, you know, uh, in robust machine learning. We probably need to have a systematic way to try to quantify the trade off between robustness and accuracy. And for future um, results, well, how to build robust deep learning models, or in general, how to evaluate machine learning techniques robustness against re- adversarial samples, it's still open research area. And another thing is, well, deep neural network is almost a black box, and we need to understand how deep neural network reaches conclusion. So, you know, make the decision more explainable. Then, well. In time, we should be able to uh, further improve you know, the generalization area of deep neural network. So my related publications are on my website. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Are there any questions? Okay. No questions. Thank you very much. Uh, another point: uh, this topic area is well funded, you know, by different agencies. So I'm actively uh, looking for well students who want to work on this topic. So if you're interested, please talk to me.